0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of this show know, each week I uh, introduce the parashah the weekly reading that is offered in synagogues and Jewish gatherings on Monday, Wednesday, and Shabbat. This week, the Jewish world is reading and studying the parasha called Toldot, Generations. It begins in Genesis 25, verse 19, and continues through Genesis 28 verse 9, and it is rich with interesting episodes and stories. Before I introduce our guest this morning, Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg of Temple Israel, Ottawa, Canada, let me give you an overview. Isaac, Abraham's son, and his new wife, Rebecca, are childless for 20 years, Suddenly, their prayers to God are answered and Rebecca conceives. She experiences, according to the Torah, a difficult pregnancy. As the Torah tells us, the children struggle inside of her. God tells her that there are two nations in your womb and that the younger will prevail over the elder. Esau emerges first. And Jacob is born clutching Esau's heel, which is why he is, according to the text called Yaakov. Esau grows up, according to the text, to be a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob, we are told, is Ishtam, Yoshev Ohel, a wholesome, quiet man, a dweller in the tents of learning, according to Jewish tradition. Isaac favors Esau. And Rebecca loves Jacob. One day, returning exhausted and hungry from the hunt, Esau sells his rights, the rights of the firstborn to Jacob for a pot of red lentil stew. In Gerar, the land of the Philistines, Isaac presents Rebecca out as his sister, copying his father Abraham's action when he went to Egypt out of fear that he will be killed by someone coveting her beauty. He farms the land, reopens the wells dug by his father, Abraham, and digs a series of his own wells. Over the first two, there is strife with the Philistines, but the waters of the third well are enjoyed in tranquility. The text tells us a bit about Esau, that he marries uh, two Hittite women. Isaac, we're told, grows old and blind and expresses his desire to bless the firstborn child Esau when he dies. When Esau goes off to hunt for his father's favorite food, Rebecca dresses Jacob in Esau's clothes, covers his arm and neck with goat skin to stimulate the feel of a hairier brother, and prepares a similar dish. Rebekah sends Jacob to his father. Jacob receives the blessing in place of Esau, and the blessing is for the dew of the heaven and the fat of the land and mastery over his brother. When Esau returns and the deception is received, all Isaac can do for his weeping son is predict that he will live by the sword and that when Jacob falters, the younger brother will forfeit his supremacy over the elder. The parasha ends as Jacob leaves home for Haran to flee Esau's wrath and to find a wife in the family of his mother's brother Lavan. Notice he's no longer looking for a wife in his father's family. And Esau marries a third wife, which we're told is the daughter of Ishmael, the son. Of Abraham, who was expelled from the camp. Now, each and every one of these episodes is worth a conversation, but our guest, Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg, wants to focus on chapter 27 of Genesis. So, those of you following with the text can turn to chapter 27, for he wants us to chat about the variety of characters and their actions during the episode of the blessing. So Rabbi Michael Berg, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish
1: Facts. Thank you, Rabbi Garden. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: It's really a very interesting cast of characters we find in this episode. Um, I'm wondering if you could begin by describing how you see each of these characters. So the
1: word that comes to mind is complicated. And just to take a step back, I always find it so interesting to note what's going on in our world when we come to the time where we read these regular Torah portions and how fitting they often are to the going ons to the happenings that are all around us. Today in our world, certainly as we look to our friends south of the, the border, but also here too, things are polarized. And we tend to generalize in this polarized environment, you're left-wing, you're right-wing, you're traditionalist, you're free-thinking, you're opposed to, you're in favor of. And something is lost when we apply these terms and when we generalize in this way. And this Torah portion really opens our eyes to the consequences of this type of generalizing and the deep need um, to really be quite sophisticated and sensitive and thoughtful to how we note each other and certainly our behavior. The four main figures in this story, uh, we have Isaac and Rebecca, we have Jacob and Esau, we have terms that we usually use to describe them, as you shared, that we typically look at Esau as being rough and tough, as being a, a hunter um, uh, a man who enjoys a good pot of stew. Um, and then we contrast him with Jacob. And we share there, we, we, we read that uh, Jacob is softer, uh, that Jacob tends to be more of a homebody. Uh, we might even use the term um, a mama's boy. And actually, as we use these terms, it's almost as if the two are polar opposites of one another. We could forget that they're brothers. And there's actually so much that they share as well. And then we could look to Isaac and Rebecca, two complicated figures as well. Um, one of the things that we often think about when we think about parents and how they relate to their children, no question that parents relate to each of their children in different ways, but no doubt they love all of their children. And that is sort of blurred in the context of this story um as we tend to speak about uh, favorites and about the ways of the patriarchal um ancient near east and we forget to really explore uh, the heart the um intention and also the deep struggles of uh, of these two parents as they try their best to raise their two children
0: you know you began by asking the audience and uh, asking me to consider the implications of not listening and of carving out such, uh, polar opposite positions. Um, as you were speaking, I was, uh, thinking to myself that Esau is kind of presented as the John Wayne of the Torah and that, um, Jacob is presented as the Gary Cooper. They're both, uh, presented in uh, American film as uh, strong heroes, but they act in very different ways. And we think of them as such polar opposites. But in fact, there is a composite that's necessary to understand how each of them in their own way um, acts uh, specific to their setting. Um, and yet find themselves uh, as heroes in and of themselves. Um, so Esau is my John Wayne, and uh, Jacob is my uh, Gary Cooper. Um, and then when we think of um, Sarah and Rebecca, I think film and and literature gives us such interesting models of... Um, couples struggling with how to be married in old age, and how to share their uh, different understandings as children. So I think you've offered us a really wonderful uh, caricature, in the best sense of caricature, a caricature portrayal of these four people who are now going to interact in chapter 27.
1: Yes, and Maybe to draw out, in particular, Rebecca. I think she's one of our most interesting characters. And I would sincerely hold her up as a feminist role model. In that Rebecca, the one female of these, uh, of these four, she um, is struggling to have her voice heard. And in the ancient Near East, it would have been a time where women would have looked to in a secondary role. And what we witnessed with Rebecca is the ability to be quite um, thoughtful and uh, meticulous uh, with her actions, recognizing that if she's going to be heard, she's going to need to do so um, with creativity, um, with great care. Um, And so on the one hand, we could uh, cast a negative lens and saying that she is manipulative and crafty. But I would also say that if we're going to use those terms, we should also take note that she's um, incredibly thoughtful um, and careful with how she goes about uh, what she would like in a similar way to as we think about today's world. And we think about those people who lack a voice and who are not recognized for their incredible gifts um, and need to organize in such a way to ensure that they can be heard.
0: So um, she both offers um, a powerful role model for um, women, and she follows in the footsteps of Sarah, who just a few chapters earlier had made the determination, uh, knowing the prophecy of uh, God, that, the descendants of Abraham will follow the lineage of um, Isaac and not of Ishmael. She makes the hard decision to uh, ensure that Isaac will be there and Ishmael is not. And likewise, Rebecca, knowing the prophecy that the young will rule over the uh, elder, uh, fulfills God's word in a sense. So she's a very strong advocate. As the Torah projects, presents her for God's word and for God's prophecy,
1: very much so. Um, she's a, a woman who uh, who follows her heart, which follows her perception of uh, of, of God's instruction, um, and will um, and will excel in that role. So, I want to draw attention now, perhaps to uh, to the, the the recipient, to the the figure of her uh, of her attention um, to Jacob. Because often our tendency of generalizing is to talk about winner and loser. And we might say that Jacob is the winner and that Jacob will receive the inheritance. Jacob will receive the blessing. But Jacob, as a result, will need to run away. He'll need to leave everything behind. He's going to find himself all alone. And every time I read the story that in the end, while he'll triumph, it's also tragic in that these two brothers will become distant and estranged. And even as Jacob will be successful and receive this birthright, there will be deep consequences. And that reminds me of our behavior um, and our choices. And while we might aspire to an all-out win, the recognition, the awareness that such a win is, is never so, um, and that every win is tinged with a loss, and we could also say every loss is tinged with learning that can be reframed in a win. But rather than speaking in these all-encompassing terms, it would be better to look more um, more carefully um, at at the consequences of our actions.
0: Wow! Um, so he's a winner, but at the exact same time, he's a loser. Um, the Torah tells us that. Esau harbored a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had given him. And Esau said to himself, I'm quoting from verse 41 and 2, let not the mourning period of my father come, and I will, let but the morning period of my father come, and I will kill my brother Jacob. When the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Now flee. And he flees, and it says um, he flees, uh, and he is even unable to mourn for his father, knowing, as the Torah says, that that the consequence – of his behavior denies him the right to, even at his father's uh, death, act in the way that the recipient of the blessing would behave. It's a two edged sword, certainly, as you pointed out to our listeners. And now, you, and you want to speak about Esau or Isaac as our remaining characters?
1: Well, I just want to illustrate i I will, in a moment, first of all, the tragedy of the story that these two brothers, amidst their differences, cannot find a way to coexist um and how sad it is to come to the end of this narrative and to witness the two going in different directions, one fearing for his life, which lends itself an opportunity to reflect how do we do how do we deal with difference, um how do we encounter even a brother? that looks or feels um, in such a different way though i'm going to offer an attempt i am going to offer words of comfort and as we go ahead as this story continues um, in future weeks and maybe you'll speak about this with your next guest the brothers will find their way back to one another but it will take time it will take um, a generation to pass uh, for these emotions to process for each of them to, to grow and mature and have families in their own way, for with a suspenseful text describing the two of them to be able to reunite, and unknowing what's going to happen next, the two embrace. I share that so we don't leave the listener hanging to know that actually there is a happy ending in this case, and that while it won't be immediate, the two will find their way back um, to one another. Okay, if we want to look at uh, Esau and Isaac two also very complicated figures um I have a lot of sympathy for Esau that uh that Esau certainly lives uh in accordance with his uh with his heart and he does what he loves um doing best and he feels intensely um and so we can feel pain uh for Esau. Uh, as he struggles with his brother uh, behaving in this um, in this way, um, and as we looked at Esau, we can um, we can imagine that to to have this experience, um, to be the formal eldest and in theory to be entitled uh, to these um, to these benefits, but to then be challenged, um, this is very complicated, and we could imagine that he would spend lots of hours in therapy as he uh, tries to uh, understand um, his narrative, the the things that happened to him, um, and how he responds. Though um, so I think perhaps most interesting is the father figure, if I think. So
0: before you leave Esau, I'm wondering if you'd like to reflect on why Jewish tradition um, through the Midrash, the commentaries, Um, does tend to cast Esau as a villain, uh, more so than the text, and cast um, Jacob as um, some um, scholarly exemplar. Um, And do you have a sense, even though the text is pretty clear that Jacob has uh, stolen the birthright, through uh, costume and chicanery, do you have a sense of why tradition was so um, anxious to paint Esau in such a negative way?
1: I think the ancient rabbis were actually psychologists of sorts and understood the human mind and understood our yearning and desire for simple understandings um, when, in fact, to be more authentic, would be to um to really live um, amidst the gray recognizing that the the true answer um, is actually quite complicated i actually as i was preparing for today i found a quote by primo levy uh, the late italian holocaust survivor renowned author and he shared the greater part of historical and natural phenomenon are not simple or not simple in the way we would like and I love that text because it points to the, the fact that we yearn uh, for things to be simple. You know, for our Canadian listeners, we yearn for the, 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 the Ottawa Senators to be uh, mighty against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but in fact, everything in our world is, uh, is really quite nuanced. Um, and so I, I have vivid memories as a child in Jewish day school being taught uh being uh taught that Jacob is uh, held up as this uh as this um uh, entitled uh entitled to the blessing and worthy of his actions and uh and um, justified um, in his behavior and Esau being the opposite even using the term um wicked um and uh and undeserving and potentially uh potentially evil that makes the story more palatable but i would share that what makes the story more real is to delve into the complicated stickiness of it the the fact that it's truly um it's truly raw one of my favorite uh, midrashim though is a, is a more more recent commentary um it's a, it's a more recent uh, f- forgive me for one moment it's a more recent commentary that speaks to uh, that speaks to esau's hairiness and that's one of his uh that's one of his qualities, and Aviva Zornberg, biblical scholar, speaks to the fact that the fact that he's hairy actually speaks to the fact that he uh defies simple categories and he's entangled in the world, and perhaps even the symbol of him being hairy uh is demanding of our attention to recognize that it's the story is not as simple as we sometimes make it out to be.
0: Wow, it's a great commentary. Um, And you're right that um, in a sense, there's a question here about um, who is the insider and who is the outsider um, and perceptions. Esau's perception is that he's been cheated and that he, in fact, was deserving of uh, his birthright. And the rabbis tell us, no, 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 that Jacob Again, the text doesn't indicate this. The text indicates the more nuanced story. But um, no, the rabbis tell us that Jacob, uh, in some way, was deserving of this. Uh, so it's really quite a fascinating notion of who is entitled, who is privileged in this story, as we would say today.
1: And, 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 last, and the last piece, let, let, let's yes, look at Isaac. Absolutely. Um, because on the one hand, we could say that Isaac is the passive player. Uh the our first introduction to Isaac in this parashah is that he's getting older, is that he's becoming blind, that he's pondering in matters of end of life. And so on the surface, we can argue that uh, that Isaac is simply a passive player. But I'm gonna question how passive he really is. If we look to the description of 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 Jacob bringing uh bringing the, the the food to his father um and comforting him at his uh, in his dying days three times Isaac is going to ask are you really my son Jacob because there are things whether it is uh, whether it's um his voice or his smell or his appearance that beg uh the question Is this really Esau in front of me? And I would suggest that perhaps we see an internal dialogue, and perhaps we see Isaac struggling, thinking something doesn't fit here. Maybe this is Jacob. Maybe this is a way to go along with this complicated plan, to find our way within the rules to give the blessing, even though it's entitled to the older person, but I could do so in a subtle way. I could do so pretending not to know what I'm doing. And I'm just making a suggestion here. that, of course, we don't. Uh, we don't have the opportunity to ask uh, to ask Isaac himself. But I'm saying that there are hints here that he might not be as blind as unknowing as we think.
0: Wow, I- I'm always struck as you speak about uh, Jacob, uh, Isaac. Uh, how? He responds, in a sense, this is a test that his son comes before him, and we hear, as you said, this internal dialogue. And I compare it to the test that his father goes through at Mount Moriah when he's asked to sacrifice Isaac, and we have no record of Abraham's internal uh, struggle. But here we have a great record of Isaac's struggle. And so I'm wondering whether he wants to break that paradigm. Um, that a man who's charged with passing on the covenant can't do it quietly when put to a test. Um, and you know, um, the the repetition three times also reminded me that when God says to Abraham, "Take your son." Um, your beloved your only son, your beloved son um and three times the son that you love the most um it takes three times to convince him and here we have the repetition of the three times, three times he asks Jacob who he is um, and i'm struck by those similarities, but differences, so you make uh jacob who's we're told is old, and his eyes were dimmed, but how dim really were they? Great question. Uh, and great insight, Rabbi. So do you want to wrap this up for us? You told us that sure. we should see it in a in a gray manner. See this story filled with grays. Uh, so I'm going
1: to wrap this up actually by reflecting on your word test and connecting that to gray. Um, so we talk about Abraham being tested in this way, and now we can look at uh, at Isaac being tested. I'm going to reflect on this test, though. Less being God watching and, and sort of uh, measuring human behavior, more so as we are tested every day as to how can we be the best that we can be, and we be the best that we can be. Everyone, as our eyes are wide open, as we listen carefully, as we don't generalize, as we represent that which is around us authentically, and in doing so, even acknowledge the messiness and the gray. It's as we untangle that. It's as we do so with love and care and an openness to the other that is often not as distinct as we make them out to be, that is when we find the pathway forward, the pathway to true blessing.
0: Well, I want to thank Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg of Temple Israel, Ottawa, Canada, for sharing such great insight. He's made this Torah portion come alive for us and offered us a way to connect the words of the Torah to our lives today. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a recording of this morning's conversation on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. I wish you shalom and a good day.